Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week on The Coffee House, we're looking at a genre of music that shaped quite a lot of early music history, the Mass. And to do that, we're going to get to know Johannes Ockeghem and his Misa Mimi. There is not a lot known about Ockeghem's early life. The year of his birth is speculated to be sometime between 1400 and 1430, with 1410 being the most often cited date. It is thought he lived to be over 90 years old, as we do have records that say he died in 1497, hence the backwards deduction to the 1410 birth date. Any student of European history will know there's always a big deal made about the Renaissance art scene of the Dutch painters. Ockeghem himself was Flemish, and as such, he was an active participant in the Dutch Renaissance. However, he began his musical career simply as a choir boy. Contemporary accounts of him describe that he had an exceptionally deep voice and was therefore an asset to church choirs to really fill out the sound. From being just a modest singer, Akagem worked his way up to international acclaim. His first post was in the Notre Dame of Antwerp, but he was soon elevated to the chapel choir of Charles I of Bourbon. And from there, he continued his upward trajectory right into the French court in 1451. The ruling king at that time was Charles VII of France. Ockeghem was a valuable member of the French court. In addition to becoming a premier chapelain, or premier singer, he was also elected to the position of treasurer in the Abbey of St. Martin. This position allowed him to live comfortably, and apparently he was quite well off for the rest of his life. While it's impressive to say Ockeghem served under a French king, wouldn't it be more impressive to say he served under three French kings? Of course! Not only did he serve Charles VII, but also his successor, Louis XI, and his successor, Charles VIII. While it is unknown just how important a role Akagem played at court, it was apparent that the kings trusted him to carry out important tasks. In one such instance, he was sent to Spain with the task of arranging a marriage between Isabella of Spain and Charles of Guyenne. However, he was unfortunately not successful in this endeavor. It is curious that a king would entrust such a task to a court musician, and thus Akagem must have served some deeper role within the court. Akagem died in 1497. His cause of death is unknown, however, prior to his death, it seems he was able to enjoy a few happy years of retirement from his working life at court. As we've mentioned on the coffee house in the past, the church during the medieval and renaissance periods was a driving force when it came to musical innovation. Especially during the renaissance, church composers were just starting to experiment with polyphony, meaning the interweaving of multiple parts to make pleasing harmonies. Akagem was a great music theory scholar, and as such his polyphonic works display a high level of intricacy. 
One of his masses is actually titled, quote, a mass to be sung in any key, meaning that the singers can start in whichever church mode they wish, but they have to keep the intervals of the notes that are written on the page. This is a sort of fun harmonic etude almost for the singers, as the harmony would be slightly different depending on which mode they chose. Another such polyphonic mass is written in canon, or like a round. However, instead of just having two, three, or maybe four parts, as we are used to experiencing, Akagim managed to intertwine 36 canonical parts. As we mentioned, Akagem himself had an exceptionally deep voice, and since he sang in the choir that his compositions were written for, he exploited his impressive vocal range. His works have much more involved bass lines than many of his contemporaries who might relegate the bass to just background drones while the upper lines carried out all the complex maneuvers. How lucky the French kings were to have such exceptional music performed for them on a daily basis. And so now we'll turn our attention to Akagem's mass, the Misa Ni Ni. The title itself is a bit tricky and has sparked debate among music historians. While many attribute the Mi Mi as a description of the solfege notes in the bass line, others have analyzed it deeper by looking into the ramifications of various church modes that Akagem writes in throughout the work. However, this will not be our focus for today. Rather, we will be using this mass as a blueprint for looking at the overall general structure and content of the mass as a genre. There are actually two types of masses, the ordinary and the proper. The ordinary mass is what was heard every day all year round. The proper mass changed every single day, with text being selected for the specific time of year. Often, the composers would only set the ordinary to music, which is what happened here with the Misa Mi Mi. However, in some special circumstances, some composers would also set the proper mass, for example for Christmas or Easter services or other special events. The standard movements of the ordinary mass are, in order, the Kyrie, the Gloria, the Credo, the Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei. We will of course start with the Kyrie. The text of this movement is actually in Greek, rather than Latin like the rest of the mass would be. Its words are simple, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. What you'll notice immediately in this work, as well as any mass written in this style and time period, is that the number of notes does not correspond to the number of words. This type of writing is called melismatic writing. Essentially, a melody is carried out independently of the words. And this is in contrast to syllabic type writing, in which there is one note per syllable of a word, which is basically how popular songs are written and sung. The melismatic style carries through most of the rest of the movements as well, but since there are so few words in the Kyrie, it is easy to point out the stark contrast between word count and note count.
after the Kyrie comes the Gloria, or Gloria in Excelsis Deo. This is a slightly longer passage, however the first stanza starts out, Glory be to God in the highest, and in earth, peace to men of goodwill. You'll notice at the start of the piece, a cantor has a Gregorian chant-type line with the Gloria in Excelsis Deo before the rest of the choir comes in. This is a hallmark of the Gloria movement during this time period. Recall we mentioned Achakem paid particular attention to his bass lines. In this movement, you can clearly hear the lower voices moving and carrying the important lines, while the high voices actually take more of a background role. Even though this was a work for the church service, Akakim was still able to add a little dramatic flair, much like a secular madrigal. At the end of the passage, the choir has worked itself into a high triumphant point, with melismatic writing fitting for a stanza that has been praising the goodness of God. In the next stanza, the words go on to ask God for mercy, and the pacing and tone have a definite shift to a somber feeling. This is achieved partly through the choir singing in a more syllabic style together. Following the Gloria is the Credo, again starting with a solo, Credo in Unum Deum. I believe in one God. Much like the Gloria, this is a longer text, but as you can tell, it still has a lot of melisma running around. And at the end of this text is a simple Amen. In later eras, beginning with Baroque, the plagal cadence, or 4 to 1, rather than 5 to 1, is sometimes referred to as the Amen cadence, because it was commonly written at the end of church music. However, in the Renaissance, when church modes were used and such terms for cadences didn't exist, the Amen at the end of the text would become decorated, with as much fanfare as the rest of the text, before ending in a pleasing harmony that doesn't necessarily sound final. We next come to the Sanctus, which is finally a shorter passage. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest. This part of the Mass is sung during the consecration of the bread and wine. Akagim's Sanctus is quite nice in that even though there is still melismatic writing, the words can be still made out fairly clearly. When Osana in Excelsis comes up in the text, the singers sound declaratory and decisive because of the writing. And the finale of the Ordinary Mass is the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, grant us peace. 
You'll notice that the ending cadence of this movement, too, doesn't exactly sound like a definitive finale that we're used to hearing in later eras. However, it is major. But remember, we are before the era of major and minor, so right now it's just a major mode. It was common at this time to end movements with chords that were in the more major sounding modes, and you'll notice that the rest of the movement was actually somewhat minor sounding, but Akagem changed it right at the end. In later times, this could be achieved by simply raising the third of a chord up a half step, thus transforming a minor chord into a major chord. This quick change that wasn't part of the key signature is known as the Picardy third. So we hope this more ancient history lesson was indeed enlightening for you today. And if it was, if you've enjoyed what we're doing, consider sharing us with a friend or similarly inclined family member, dropping a follow if you're listening on Spotify, or leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Misa Mi Mi was performed by Cantoris Carmeli Lins, conducted by Michael Stinov. You can find The Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Oh.